0: Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to see you today, and I am very excited about what God is doing. Very excited. In fact, I sense a great moving of the Holy Ghost uh, taking place, and He is putting pieces together, and I'm going to share with you some of those things in just a moment. But thank you to our praise and worship team. Give them a big round of applause. The guys up the back who make it sound... Uh, As good as it is, and uh, keep feeding us the lyrics of the words so that we could join in worship. Amen. This morning I'm going to speak on the subject of revival, God's official reset. This is God's official reset button. I've been saying for months and months now in this church that America is on the brink of disaster but for a move of God. We're living in a time where people don't even know what gender they are anymore. I don't know how many gender identities they have now come up with, but I can tell you it's more than God created a man and a woman. We're living in a state of confusion. We're living in a state of rebellion. We're living in a state of darkness And God will move on the face of the earth if the sons of God stand up and start acting like sons of God and start praying down the revival that this world needs. I want to tell you that God is bigger than the mess that's in America. God is bigger than the mess that is in Afghanistan. God is bigger than the threat that is behind the leaders of China and other world leaders who have a devious and mischievous intention. God is bigger than the kingdom of darkness. God is bigger than every woe you and I have ever seen. And God and only God has Access to a reset button and it is called the Move of the Holy Ghost Revival. Can I get agreement? Absolutely. Now, last week, as I was finishing up my message, I I, I shared with you about uh, the revival in Wales. And uh, as I was putting all that information together, I said, God, I don't have a text and he gave me acts 3:19 which i immediately know just from constant uh, usage and conversation and reading it and talking with pastor jan it's a very popular scripture to us a very well known scripture to us and god said i want you to preach as your text acts chapter 3 verse 19 now stay with me because i'm about to show you things that will prove that God is moving, things I had no power over and have no power over, things I did not know, and yet things that God was doing by his Holy Spirit. And so, as I'm arguing a little bit about whether or not to use the Scripture because of its commonality, at least in our prayer meetings and in our conversations, Pastor Jan, and because of What a prominent scripture and role this verse played in the previous revival here 40 years ago. Uh, While I was debating with the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me, and I told you this last week. He said, this scripture, this is where the revival in the past ended, and this is where revival will begin. Repentance is such a powerful thing. I want you to visualize this for a moment. Repentance is a declaration by human beings, men and women, you and me. It is a declaration to the kingdom of darkness. I am not going to let you have access to my heart, my mind, or my emotions anymore. When we repent, it is a rebellious act against the principalities of darkness. When we repent, it is a humble cry to the king of kings in heaven, and he not only washes away our sin, but he breaks the foothold and the strongholds of darkness in our lives, around our lives, and over our lives. Jesus said that the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in him. The apostle Paul teaches us that a foothold, if you give the enemy a foothold, if you open a door to an unsavory thought life, to an unsavory activity, it will give the devil a foothold, and every foothold will become or has the potential to become a stronghold. And so we go from footholds to strongholds. A foothold is where you entertain the enemy. For for a moment, for a day, or for a week, but that foothold, if not repented of, becomes a stronghold, and that's where that spirit of vice will take root in our mind, take root in our emotion, take root in our lives, and he becomes a master over that area of our functionality. Footholds. Don't give the devil a foothold. Peter says it. Don't give him a foothold. Why? You give him a foothold, he will start to build a castle. He will start to build a stronghold. He will start to build a fortress. And so when we repent, it, and I mean genuine repentance, I'm not talking about just feeling sorry because you feel guilty at the moment. You want a relief of conscience. I'm talking about a repentance that seriously considers why this action is wrong in the eyes of God and how this action, which tantalizes you just for a moment, is an alliance with the kingdom of darkness and it stops up the kingdom of God. And so when we repent, it's like throwing a ballistic missile into the camp of the enemy and saying, No more! repentance is a powerful thing in the realm of the spirit. And unfortunately, demons, as cunning as they are, paint the word repentance with every negative intonation so that people would scorn the concept of repentance. They know that where there is repentance, there will soon be revival. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, this is what Peter said. It was the day of Pentecost and Peter gets up and preaches after people are speaking in tongues and supernatural things are happening so much. So everyone was questioning "What, what what's going on. Listen, when God moves, he does not have to move according to your past experience. When God moves, he is not uh, bound to move according to the lines and the boundaries of your logic. When God moves, the reason why he calls it signs and wonders is because his moving will often leave us wondering what the heck is going on. The very fact that it's called signs and wonders means that it defies logic. God cannot be held and will not be held in a canister of logic called your brain. God will move beyond our imagination. God will move beyond our understanding. God will move beyond our experience. And God will move beyond our comfort and our preference. I trust God. To do what I don't understand and what I don't know. Because when the only God we ever see manifested in our lives is a God that we can explain, then that is a God no bigger than the pea-sized brain of a human being. God is bigger. And God is better. And God can do amazing things. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent then. Peter said it. John the Baptist said it, repent. Jesus said it, repent. Some of the most famous characters in the New Testament constantly preached repentance. And in the modern church of the United States of America, it's a subject we don't like to touch lest we offend somebody. And they go down the road to a competing church. I'm going to tell you my only competition is the kingdom of darkness. And I got news for you. They are no competition. Amen. 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 Praise God. Repent then and turn to God. So that your sins will be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord revival follows genuine repentance. And so uh, before I got up to preach uh, Sunday morning in the early hours as I'm debating with the Holy Spirit, he says, this is where revival ended here in this region 40 years ago. And this is where revival will start. And so I preached my message last week after church, and I I won't mention any names, but if they want to make themselves known, that's totally up to them. But one Dear lady in this congregation came up to me after church and said, Pastor, as soon as they started praise and worship, I ran out the front. And I was excited. I'm going out the front to praise God. She said, before you said anything, before Lydia said anything, she said, I got out the front. We had just started praise and worship. I'm getting ready to praise in the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. That's what he said. He said, I want you to repent. She said, I started repenting before God. And after a while, a tremendous weight lifted off of me. And I just felt such a joy in the presence of God. She, uh, she described a, a monumental experience in her life, and she ran it akin to that where she had a tremendous encounter with God. Later that day, another gentleman from the church texted me and said, Yesterday I was sitting on the beach, and as I was looking at the ocean, I just felt the Spirit of God talking to me about repentance, and I started repenting of things in my life. He said, Pastor, I want you to know that you are on point. I'm sure many others had similar experiences. Pastor Jan, uh, I've mentioned that uh, <clears throat> God's put it on my heart to reach out to two pastors in the area, and one of them, Pastor Jan, just happened to tune in to see uh, what their service was like last Sunday. And uh, that same pastor, now we've had no connection. I've had no communications with him whatsoever. The only thing we have in common is the blood of Jesus Christ and the transmission of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so last Sunday, as she turns on and watch uh, his service and uh, hear him preach, he's preaching on repentance. I'm not done with... Showing you how God is working. You see yesterday. The prayer meeting on Saturday mornings. We had 16 people here. Saturday morning. To pray. The number is slowly increasing. I hope next week. We have 26 people. But you watch this here. God is moving. So at the end of the prayer meeting. And I don't know. This person may even be present. I won't even say whether it's male or female. But the prayer meeting ended, and I went into the next room to sign some, a certificate for Bible college for a particular student, and a person came in saying, oh, I'm so glad I found the church. I've been driving up and down this area looking for an open church because I have to repent. That's the Holy Spirit. Man can't do that. We cannot orchestrate that, but the Holy Spirit of God can, and he does. Can I get an agreement? Last night, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Dr. Tom Renfro. Many of you know him. He preaches here. Uh, Whenever he's in town, I, I usually snag him or his lovely wife to come and preach, and he, he was driving to another town, and we're just having conversation. And just before he gets to his stop, he just quickly mentioned, you know, about this month on the Hebrew calendar uh, and something about repentance. And I wanted to ask him, but he got to where he was going, and he had to quickly leave. And so as I'm working on my message last night, maybe half an hour had gone by, and I remembered the words he said, and I quickly Googled, Something I did not know. The month of August on our calendar corresponds to the Hebrew calendar. This is the month of Elul, E-L-U-L. This is the last month of their year before the new year starts in September. I think it's September the 5th. But the month of Elul is a month of national repentance. I had no idea. I didn't know that. And here the Holy Spirit has been putting this message on my heart and yet again on my heart because if men and women will let a shout go out in the heavens to the kingdom of darkness, that we repent of engaging with them. We repent of making an alliance to our sinful convenience, when we repent of being critical, gossipy, when we repent of allowing the flesh to lead us rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. By the way, let me make something very clear. When our flesh is leading us, it's really a demon that's got a hook in our flesh and he's pulling us along. But when we live by the flesh, we have made allegiance or alliances with the kingdom of darkness. But when we live by the Spirit, we are in agreement with heaven. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we're, we're too used to religion. God doesn't want religion. Yeah, 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 I know. We know better. We don't call it religion. We call it relationship. Relationship. Yeah, but we have such a a tepid relationship with Christ. It's like weak tea. We think we're a notch up because we don't call it religion. We call it relationship. I want to tell you God wants an ardent, passionate, passionate relationship with each and every one of those who profess his name and claim to be born again. To be half-hearted with the God of the universe, to take a casual approach to the one who gives you breath, one second there's breath in your lungs, and then the next second there could not be breath in your lungs, and to have a casual attitude towards the creator of this universe is in itself and of itself an insult. I don't care if you agree or not. I didn't get too many amens, but I believe it. And I'll say it again. To be casual towards the creator and the giver of life. We're just happy and satisfied. Oh, I got Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I'm fixed. Well, the rest of the world isn't fixed. And I got news for you. Most of us ain't as fixed as we'd like to think we are fixed. And we need a lot more of the Holy Ghost to get inside of us and a lot more of God to overpower us. Can I get an amen? absolutely praise God so when I heard that and I looked it up I was super excited when I look at listen this church is filled with people who have driven by this place and felt something inside of them say you need to stop and go into this place and it was either that day or a week before weeks before but the spirit of God kept telling you to come into this place just out of curiosity uh, I want everyone who has ever driven past this place and the spirit of God said, you need to go there and that's why you're here. I want you to stand to your feet. Would you do that right now? Do you know why that happens? I don't know if the cameras, stay standing. I don't know if the cameras, stay standing for a moment. I I don't know if the cameras can uh, scan and show those that are watching. But do you know why this happens? For years, we have prayed, Holy Spirit, this is your territory right here. We claim the highway and the roads around this building, and as people drive by, jump into their car, and louder than their radios, louder than their CDs or iPods or whatever else they've got going and blaring, you know, everybody, our cars have become the place of karaoke. We turn the volume up and all of a sudden we all become instant stars, you know. Uh, It used to be that we'd sing in the shower. Now we just sing in the car. Uh, But instantly, Holy Spirit take control of their hearts and their emotions and jump in that car and tell them to come here. And, and, And that's how most of you are all here. You can be seated. Thank you. But the same way we can pray, Holy Spirit, get in their cars and tell them to come here, we can pray over our region. Listen, just like there are airwaves filled with uh, messages from, from TV stations, news stations, from the internet, from radio stations, there is constantly a vibration in the unseen realm of communication. And the same way that is in the natural, so it is in the realm of the spirit. Paul says our flesh, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. They are territorial spirits, and they try to possess a region so that it will not be God's region. And they communicate in the heavens just like the Holy Spirit used to do in Genesis 1.1. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep, When the Spirit of God is there, He is constantly transmitting the message of God's heart and the message of God's mind principalities will constantly transmit the message of Satan's heart and the message of Satan's mind. And you can get as scientific as you want, but the reason why the earth has already gone to hell in a handbasket in terms of confusion and chaos is because principalities are speaking over communities and men and women are tuned in to a negative influence and it is driving their affections or disaffections and causing there to be such confusion and anarchy in our society and the one thing that will reset society is when the church of jesus christ allows judgment to start in their own hearts and they come before god and cry out and say dad i have been negligent i've even been willfully sinful i repent Cleanse me, work in me, and move through me. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Praise God. I want to share with you, we know so much about the history of the United States of America, but I'm going to challenge you, and I challenge you in this regard. The most important aspects of our history, most Americans I'd say 90% of America doesn't know the most important aspects of our history. And no, I'm not going to get political. I'm going to get honest, and I'm going to tell you things that you can find on the internet, but you'll never hear it on a news station, and you'll never read it in a textbook, not in elementary school, not in junior high, not in high school, and most definitely not in our colleges, but they are instrumental, monumental moments in the history of the United States of America and they have fashioned us and defined who we have been for many, many years. And it's the record of revivals that have taken place in this nation. Amen. Here we go. The state I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a revival that broke out in Red River, Kentucky and in the Cane Ridge area of Kentucky back in the 1800s. Now the moment I say the 1800s, it was 1800 and 1801 and from there on forward for quite a few years. The logic of our natural minds immediately goes to the fact, oh well, people were pretty docile then. They were pretty harmless. They were more God-fearing. Uh, how magnificent or strategic would a revival be then? It's so different today. People have got so many different concepts and worldviews. You can't compare then with now. Uh, the, uh, any revival that took place then really would have been pretty easy. That's not the case. You see, it, during the 17th century, the end, towards the end of the 17th century, in the 18th century, we came into the, the time of enlightenment where people started to hear all philosophies of science. Darwinism started to take root and people were in awe of some new fantastical theory. And the science of unseen things, germinology and stuff like that, bacteria and medical science, And what happened was during that period of time around the world, Great Britain and France, around the world, and the United States, America started to become extremely godless. In fact, it is noted in history that at one point, one of George Washington, President George Washington's friends, wrote him and said, Sir, I believe that we are embarking on perilous times for America is losing its faith in God and is becoming quite godless, to which George Washington responded and said, I agree, but I don't know what the answer is. During the late 1700s and early 1800s, deism became a a very strong philosophical point of view. And it turned many people's hearts from dead religion and stale Christianity to such a liberalism that it really influenced greatly and affected greatly every uh, status level of society in the United States of America. So let me explain what deism is. Because of the age of enlightenment, people got to a point where they stopped believing in the miracles of the Bible. They stopped believing in the stories of the Bible and started to refer to them as fables, make-believe things, because science became the new religion, so to speak. It was the desire of knowledge outside of the knowledge of God that caused Adam and Eve to sin. And that is one thing that the enemy will always do. He will entice you to experience a knowledge, an experience, a, 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 a sin-filled experience That will take you away from the knowledge that is written in God's word. Deism originated as an intellectual movement during the ages of reason and enlightenment in the 17th and 18th centuries in France, Britain, and Germany, and the United States. During this time, many people became interested in scientific explanations about the world and became skeptical of miracles represented by the Bible. Deism is a philosophical position and rationalistic theology that rejects revelation as a source of divine uh, knowledge. Since deism rejects supernatural revelation, deism does not accept the Bible as the inspired word of God. Deism rejects the possibility that God came to earth as Jesus Christ to save the world. In fact, deism believes that there is a force or a being responsible for creation, but after creation, that being, that force, Uh, withdrew from the earth and has left it to its own devices never to ever intervene, intervene again in the affairs of humanity. They believe that this force or God does not interject in any way in the affairs of humanity and most certainly does not respond supernaturally to the prayers of men. And this became a pervasive philosophy across the United States in the early 1800s. So much so that George Washington himself professed that he feared for the law of the godlessness of the United uh, States, of America. Uh, So I want to read to you some excerpts. These are excerpts of historical documents of revivals that took place in this particular climate here in the United States. This is our history. What is America built on? Every American will talk about our Constitution and our constitutional rights. But I want you to understand there is a part of our history that is far more formidable than our Constitution. Your Constitution gives you limited rights and people are constantly trying to rewrite those rights. But your history in this nation comes back to a place of revival and it starts to speak to us about who we are as sons of God and the power we have to influence society. I'll keep preaching. I got about three amens, but I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to keep preaching, Angie. You keep saying amen and little by little, a few more will join in. But I am not deterred. I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts, things that happened. Um, I want to give you a picture of revival. Uh, first of all, there was a letter from a gentleman to his friend in Maryland dated August 15th, 1801. And uh, I don't know if they can do this, but on the screen, if you can put, for those that are watching via live stream, and all of you could go back to it and pull up this website, Uh, this is a list of documents uh, that were written in the day at that time, uh, and you will read larger accounts of things that I'm going to read here today, but this is a website you can go to. So one excerpt is a letter from a gentleman to his friend in Maryland dated August 15th. What's today's date? August 29th. 1801, and this is what he says. I must call your attention to the glorious work of God in this place. Not long since, religion appeared to be at a very low ebb here. But last winter, there appeared a great anxiety in people generally to hear the gospel. And numbers have been made to cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And I will add, many of our accomplished deists have been made to bow the knee and throw down their weapons of rebellion. In 1980, there was a a revival, one of the early revivals or first moves of the spirit happened in a traditional Presbyterian church. And it was around the sacrament of communion. And this took place at the Red River Meeting House in June of 1800. How many of you ever heard of the revival in the Red River? An area in Kentucky. As the revival spread to the congregations of uh, Reverend McGrady, His two other area congregations, he had three congregations, several hundred people attended the meetings from Friday through Tuesday. McGready's other congregations were located at Muddy River and Gasper River. Okay, so there was a visitor who was another Presbyterian minister. His name was Barton W. Stone. He was there. He writes what he saw. He was so moved by what the Holy Ghost was doing, less than a year later, he convened a camp meeting in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, not too far from there, and everything I'm about to read that he wrote ended up happening in this campsite almost 12 months later. The Presbyterian minister Barton W. Stone observed the events and wrote the following There, on the edge of a prairie in Logan County, Kentucky, the multitudes came together and continued a number of days and nights and camped on the grounds, during which time worship was carried on in some part of the encampment. The scene was new to me and passing strange. It baffled description. Many, very many, fell down as men slain in battle and continued for hours together in an apparently breathless and motionless state, sometimes for a few moments reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or piercing shriek or by a prayer for mercy fervently uttered. After lying there for hours, they obtained deliverance. The gloomy cloud that had covered their faces seemed gradually and visibly to disappear and hope and smiles brightened into joy. They would rise, shouting deliverance, and then would address the surrounding multitude in language truly eloquent and impressive. And with astonishment did I hear men and women and children declaring the wonderful works of God, the glorious mysteries of the Gospels, their appeals were solemn heart-penetrating, bold and free, under such circumstances many others would fall down into the same state from from which the speakers had just been delivered. So in other words, people were falling out under the power of the Holy Ghost. Now some of you may be aware of this phenomenon, others may not be. It has happened here many times in this church. Uh, It happened uh, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And um, a person who wasn't familiar with it uh, started to speak quite negatively about it and searched the internet and came to me with an article preaching against it with scriptures. And they only, and, and their, their comment was that in the Bible, the only people who ever fell down in the presence of God fell prostrate on their face, and it was an act of worship. And then I showed them half a dozen other scriptures where people like Saul fell off his horse and had an encounter with God. Where the priests at the dedication of Solomon's temple, it says they could no longer stand to minister before God because the glory had come down. And on and on again when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they fell backwards under the power of God as they approached him. There are many supernatural things in the Bible, and if you want to confine God to your logic or to my logic and to our past experience, we will eliminate a myriad of things that God can do. God's imagination and ability is far beyond my little brain, and I want to experience as much of God, and I don't want to put God in a capsule-sized bottle. Can I get an agreement? So a year later, Barton W. Stone, the pastor at the Cane Ridge Presbyterian Church, took advantage of networks of communication, and he started to communicate amongst the Methodists and the Presbyterians, and he circulated the word that they were going to have special communion services on the grounds there at Cane at Ridge. Well, what happened was crowds of over 20,000 people showed up. The army at the time, the military, actually has a historical record where they estimated it was 40,000 people. And what uh, uh, Barton Stone had organized, he organized 17 other preachers to come and be part of this mass gathering, they never expected this size of crowd to come out. They expected maybe hundreds or even a thousand, but that was it. And they built a stage up on stilts where one man could preach to the crowds. Well, because the crowds were so huge, and this is the 1800s, they had no form of loudspeakers or anything like that. And so, Uh, Barton Stone immediately told the other preachers, if you can find a stump, a a, a sawn down tree, jump on that stump and start preaching. And so 20,000 people had preachers all around the camp preaching about God and preaching on the things of the Spirit. But what was unusual to all of them was that people who were unsaved, people who were drunkards, people who were thieves, people who were liars, and people that were very reverent Christians, very religious and very traditional, suddenly started to scream and fall down under the power of the Holy Ghost and started to repent. They had never seen things like this. What's interesting is Barton Stone experienced this a year earlier He was fascinated by it. He didn't get critical. He welcomed it and quickly went home and hurried and in his circulars announced, you will have a communion service like you've never experienced before. Well, the Spirit of God was already moving. 20,000 people showed up to this campsite. So I'm going to read you a couple of historical extracts. Uh, You can go to this website, look it up for yourself. It's obviously in very old English, so you need to translate it a little bit. Use Google Translate to modernize what they're saying so that you can get the picture in today's vernacular, all right? Uh, But how many of you want to hear some of the amazing things that were taking place? This is our history, okay? Uh, An extract of a letter from Colonel Robert Patterson, who served in that area of Kentucky in Cane Ridge, all right? He was a colonel with the U.S. military, and he wrote this letter as a report to the Reverend Dr. John King, dated September the 25th, 1801. And this is what he says, as well as I am able I will describe it as I have had it from the subjects not being able to describe it experimentally. In other words, I wasn't one of those who fell out under the spirit. Of all ages, from eight years and upwards, male and female, rich, poor, black, and people of every denomination, those in favor of it, as well as those who were instantly in opposition to it and railed against it, instantly laid motionless on the ground. Some feel the approaching symptoms by being under deep conviction. Their heart begins to swell, their nerves relax, and in an instant they become motionless and speechless, but generally retain their senses. It comes on others like an electric shock, as if felt in the great arteries of the arm or senses, uh, sorry, or thighs, and closes quick into the heart. And, and they feel like their heart is going to burst. The body relaxes and falls motionless, and uh, uh, um, some grow weak so as not to be able to stand but do not lose their speech altogether. They are all opposed to any medical application. They don't want medication. And though the weather is very warm and people in large crowds around them, they don't, are not inclined to drink water. They will continue in that state for one hour to 24 hours. And when they regain their speech, which comes to them gradually, they express themselves commonly in the following manner. In other words, what you're about to hear was very common. They, were, they would confess that they were great sinners, the vilest of the vile, and pray earnestly for mercy through Jesus Christ. Some think that there is no mercy, that there is mercy for all but for them, and that salvation through Christ is a wonderful salvation, but they think it will not be applied to them. They often continue in this state for many days. Many have not yet recovered, so that it is not certain that they will. This is so new to them. Others will recover in an hour and speak of salvation, sure, and are in possession of great gifts in praying and exhortation, which they often perform in an incredible manner. Indeed, it is a miracle that a wicked, unthoughtful sinner who never could or did address himself to an audience before should rise up of one of those fits, that's how he he described it, they had no understanding of this supernatural uh, phenomenon, and continue for the space of two hours recommending religion and Jesus Christ to the other sinners as a lovely savior free-willing and all-sufficient and calling to sinners and inviting them to come to Christ and close in with the offer of salvation in the most pressing and engaging manner. And so here these people come out and as preachers are preaching all around this crowd of 20,000 folk, the Spirit of God comes down, and people start falling down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And they come under deep conviction some for an hour, some for 24 hours, and they start crying out to God for mercy. But when they finally break through, they stand up and there's a glow on their face, and suddenly these sinners, many of which had never spoken in public before, became preachers, and they stood up, and they started preaching to the congregation and telling people they need to repent. Wouldn't that be phenomenal if that happened in the White House? Who would like to see everyone in government fall down under the power of the Holy Ghost? And I don't say that as an insult or, yeah, go get them. I say that that is something we need, such a baptism of the Holy Ghost, that it goes beyond what we understand logically. Can I get an agreement? Wouldn't it be great if all of our politicians came under such a a move of the Holy Ghost that when they got off the ground, they start confessing their sins and, and repent and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, revival is God's reset button for society. And many of us have never experienced this kind of thing. In fact, many of us have never heard of such a thing. And you will not find this in your history books, in, in elementary schools, junior high, high school, or college. And yet, revivals like this make up the history of the United States of America. Even churches don't know. In fact, and I don't want to name any denominations, but some denominations were present and uh, their own ministers say that in a crowd of, uh, uh, of 8,000 people, suddenly 1,000 people fall to the ground and start shrieking and crying out in repentance. And some of those ministers are from denominations that today believe that such an act is an act of the devil. And yet these ministers testified to the fact that the vilest of sinners became gloriously born again, and became preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, there are many things that can divide us. We could get caught up in the loop of politics. We could get caught up in the imaginations of this conspiracy or not. But if we were to get caught up on the one thing that can unite us, America can get caught up in a move of the Holy Ghost. I refuse to allow political parties to divide us as a church. And I refuse to allow the politics that are current today to cause animosity in the body of Christ. You will never have a move of God when the church is divided and people are at odds at each other and talking behind each other's backs. Where you will have a revival is when people humble themselves and repent and allow the Spirit of God to soften their hearts and they love one another and there's great unity. And what we need is not a political breakthrough. What we need is a supernatural breakthrough. Can I get an agreement? Uh, The Reverend G. Baxter, who is a principal of the Washington Academy, wrote a letter to Reverend Dr. Archibald Alexander and to Prince Edward, dated January the 1st, 1802. And he says, Reverend and dear sir, on my way to Kentucky I was told by settlers on the road that the character of Kentucky travelers was entirely changed and that they were now as distinguished for sobriety as they had once formerly been for drunkenness. And indeed, I found Kentucky the most moral place I had ever been in. A profane expression was hardly heard. A religious awe seemed to pervade the country. And some deitists, in other words, people who believed in deism, some uh, deitistical characters had confessed that from whatever cause the revival might originate, it certainly made people better. Its influence was not less visible in promoting a friendly temper. Nothing could appear more amicable than the undissembled benevolence which governs the subject of this work. I have often wished that the mere politician or deist would observe with impartiality their peaceful and amicable spirit he would certainly see that nothing can equal the religion of Jesus for promoting even the temporal happiness of society. Some neighborhoods visited by the revival had been formerly notorious for private animosities and petty lawsuits that had commenced on their grounds. But when the parties in these quarrels were impressed with religion, this revival, the first thing was to fend for their antagonists, They actually went to the defense of their own enemies, and it was often very affecting to see their meeting. Both had seen their faults, both contended they need to make concession, till at last they were obliged to request each other to forbear all mention of the past. In other words, to forgive each other and to act as friends and brothers for the future. Now, sir, let modern philosophers talk of reforming the world by banishing Christianity and introducing their licentious systems. The blessed gospel of our God and Savior is showing what it can do. Isn't that powerful? Upon the whole, sir, I think the revival in Kentucky amongst the most extraordinary that have ever visited the Church of Christ. And all things considered peculiarly adapted to the circumstances of that country. Infidelity was triumphed in religion at the point of expiring something an extraordinary something of an extraordinary nature seemed necessary to arrest the attention of a giddy people who were ready to conclude that christianity was a fable and future and futurity a dream. In other words, the future of eternity, a dream. This revival has done it. It has confounded infidelity, awed vice into silence, and brought numbers beyond calculation under serious conviction. Uh, And he goes on and he he says here, he says, uh, about this time, the people began to fall down in great numbers under serious conviction impressions. He means today we would say conviction. This was a new thing amongst us Presbyterians. It excited universal astonishment and created a curiosity that could not be restrained when people fell even during the most solemn parts of the divine service. And those who stood near were so extremely anxious to see how they were affected that they often crowded about them and disturbed the worship. But these causes of disorder were soon removed. Different uh, sacraments were appointed on the same Sabbath, and the falling down became so familiar as to excite no disturbance whatsoever. At Cambridge, it was generally supposed that not less than a thousand people fell prostrate to the ground, among whom were many infidels. I saw people. That fell and thought there to be more than three hundred other persons fall are generally such as had manifested symptoms of the deepest conviction for previous for some time previous to that event. It is common to see them shed tears plentiful for an hour. Immediately before they become totally powerless, they are seized with a general tremor and sometimes, though not often. They utter one or two piercing shrieks in the moment of falling. Persons in this situation are affected in different degrees. Sometimes when unable to stand or sit, they have to use their hands and can converse with perfect composure. In other cases, they are unable to speak. He goes on and he says... um, They feel no bodily pain. They have the entire use of their reason and reflection, and when they are recovered, they can relate everything that had been said or done near them or which could possibly fall within their observance. From this, it appears that their falling is neither fainting nor nervous affection. Indeed, this strange phenomenon appears to have taken every possible turn to baffle the objections of those who are not willing to consider it a supernatural work of God. This is part of our history. And there's only one problem with that. We need this to be part of our present. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Over the next few weeks, I'll talk to you about other revivals from the 1800s to the 1900s to the 70s, how the Spirit of God has moved, and how it brought changes to the United States of America, and revivals have happened around the world. What? I, why would I preach such a thing? Because the world has gone crazy, and because what we need is for the Church, church of Jesus Christ. We are the only entity that genuinely has the answer to every problem that is present in our world today. And judgment will always start at the house of God. In other words, accountability. Judgment conjures up such negative images. Accountability always starts with the sons of God. To whom much is given, much is required. And so... Uh, God first comes to visit his church and therefore repentance must first start in the house of God, in the lives of men and women. And as we turn from our sin, your secret sin is no secret to the kingdom of darkness. You could run, you could hide, you could avoid this kind of preaching. What you do in secret is no secret to the demons who are leading you and controlling you. And the only way to break that bondage and that alliance is to repent from the depths of your heart and to say no to what was once a foothold or maybe even became a stronghold. Church, I believe that God is beginning to move in the midst of us how do, you, how do you have preaching like this last week? And then, uh, you know, someone comes in off the street as we've ended our prayer meeting. Pastor Jan, am I exaggerating? In fact, I, I had already walked out of the prayer meeting. I was in the multipurpose room. So I, I had no influence on it whatsoever. And this person just said, I need to repent. I've been driving up and down this place. My life is so messed up. I need to repent, God, get right with God and they got born again on the spot as we concluded a prayer meeting. That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. If you love America, and if you love Jesus Christ, then I call on every one of us to start to become persons who are very honest and transparent with God and start to get our hearts right. You can fool everyone else. You won't th- I will never fool the Holy Spirit. You will never fool the Holy Spirit. And we will never fool the demons who want to keep controlling our lives. When we genuinely repent, we shed their control over us and we get set free. The additional benefit is that when we get set free, the power of the Holy Ghost has freedom now to work in a greater way in our lives and through our lives. I believe I'm here for one reason, one reason only. And that is to prepare people's hearts for a great move of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. People falling out under the power of God. We've had had moves of God. We had one move of God that lasted here for two whole years. And every Sunday, six, seven, ten people, 15 people would get saved. We had one, one young lady have a dream of this church and in in the following days told her parents, I must go to that church. God's telling me I have to go to that church. They came and the whole family got saved. These are things that preaching can't do. These are things that the Holy Spirit can do. And we need a supernatural, godly atmosphere to come over our nation. Can I get an agreement? And stand with me. Come on, stand with me. Give the Lord a clap. Go on, give the Lord a clap. <clears throat> Praise God. Last week, in the middle of what was a very supernaturally orchestrated worship session, And those of you who are here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We had a moment of silence, and I called on every man and every woman to be honest and repent of hidden sin in your lives if there is sin. I don't know about you, but I'm still human enough that I still make wrong decisions and say things I shouldn't say and then have to get it right. In the case of Rob Scarallo, repentance has to be a lifestyle. (laughs) You live with me long enough, you'll know and you'll say, amen, amen. (laughs) But guess what? Most of us are like the rest of us, and so the same is true of you. I just know that because as every human being has fingerprints, every human being messes up. We need to become more sensitive to the whole. Holy Spirit of God. I pray and I say, Holy Spirit, please convict me of things that in the past I wouldn't even think twice about. Trouble me. Cause me to be irked. Cause me to be uncomfortable. Because I don't want my insensitivity to the Holy Spirit to be a convenient place to a demon. i say it again. I don't want my insensitivity to the Holy Spirit to be a, convenience pla- a convenient place to a devil. No. I, I want to be able to say like my Lord and Savior, the prince of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me anymore. Jesus didn't add the anymore. He just said, he has nothing in me. What America needs it's for the church of Jesus Christ, to be the church of Jesus Christ, and start to pray. I've said it many times from this pulpit, and I'll say it again. Your prayer life carries far more weight than your right to cast a single vote. And when we vote, I don't care what side of the political fence they're on, every one of them are capable of sin, lies, Illegal behavior, double-mindedness, every one of them can be bought. But when our answer and our source is the Holy Spirit of God, he never sells out. First and foremost, each one of us must be born again. Being part of a denomination is not enough. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, it starts there. Today, you must be born again. Jesus, he didn't say, hey, it'd be a good option. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must. It's an absolute. If you're not born again, you're already living in the kingdom of darkness. That's a fact. The whole world is a prisoner to the kingdom of darkness until one by one people are born again and taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I don't want no demon to have a right to manipulate my life and dictate to me. I was created to reflect the image of God. So are you.